Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. Welcome to Young Adults. My name is Jared, and I get the honor of being with you all tonight. Uh, Guys, tonight we've been going through a little bit of a series talking about some things that are hard and then God's plan for them. We went through gossip and restraint. We went through pride and humility. Uh, And tonight we're talking about self-control. Everybody loves to hear about self-control, right? Um, I want you to think for a second, what's that one thing? Maybe it's a food. Maybe it's like going to a place. Maybe it's just doing a certain activity. What's that one thing you just can't say no to? Like, what's that one thing, like maybe it's a restaurant, maybe it's a certain thing that like, maybe you're only your mom makes it and when you're home, you're like, mom, you've got to make this thing. Um, for me, uh, I have to be a little bit careful. Um, my wife doesn't send me to the grocery store super often, but when she does, she knows I'm likely to buy some things we don't necessarily need that weren't on the list. Uh, but my one thing that I have, uh, I just can't say no to, that I end up buying more times than not, is cookie dough. Any cookie dough fans in the house? And I'm talking, I'm talking Toll House. I'm talking, it's uncooked. I'm not, I'm not cooking that. Then all the intrigue for it goes away for me. Um, there was a salmonella scare in the early uh, 2000s. That didn't bother me, just kept eating it. If Rocky eats uh, uh, eggs that are uncooked, I think it's good for me too. Um, but I just, if I go to the store, I'm buying cookie dough and they come in different sizes there's like a little it's like a little little tube and then there's a big tube and then there's a tub and I'm just like listen if you look at like the price per ounce the tub is like way cheaper and I'm going to probably get it anyway so I just end up getting the tub and I was telling some people about this uh walking them through my message and they were like like a couple people were kind of laughing and then one person was just like like you could just kind of tell that was like oh you're gross. Like, yeah, that's, it's fine. I'm, I'm gross. Um, but there's just probably the chance that, like, if I keep eating tubs of cookie dough, I'm going to end up being, like, a tub, tubby person at some point, um, more than I am today. Um, but that's just one of my things that I have. I have such a hard time uh, saying no to. Um, but with self-control, I mean, th- just the phrases that we use around it, like, I can't help myself, right? Like, think about those words together. I can't help myself when it comes to this or I can't deny myself this, or I can't say no. What is that for you? What's that thing that if you filled in the blank, you'd say, man, I just can't say no to that thing. I think there's so much with self-control that's like, man, this is such an unfun topic to talk about because you don't know that you need help until you really need help. You don't know that you're out of control until you've spun way out of control. There's so many things with self-control that it, it, it's kind of a blanket that fits over so many different things. We talked about pride and humility. We talked about gossip and restraint. We talked about being in sober-minded, and that does kind of fit in tune with this message. But having self-control, there's so many different things that we need self-control over, Right? Like, I think about food, like, you can be out of self-control with your food. You can have that one restaurant that you go to. You can, you can end up eating a whole tub of cookie dough without even really blinking. Um, but there's so many different things. You can be out of control with your relationships. Man, maybe as soon as you see a girl, you're like, man, I, I lost, I blacked out, and I just, I, I had to say something. I had to go talk. I had to go do, I, you, just, you just black out when it comes to a relationship, but maybe it's a little bit more than that relationship. Maybe there's some more behind that, that you lack self-control when it comes to your own purity. 
You lack this self-control where you, you know what the formula is most of the time, right? You're home alone. Nobody else is around. Maybe you had a really tough day or a really good day. Maybe you just, you just got a little comment that you, your self-worth was low or maybe you needed a win so your, your purity takes a little hit. And once you kind of add a couple of those factors in together, it's like, man, I, I had no control over the situation anymore. I had no choice but to screw up in that area. Maybe it's not like a relationship with another person, like a romantic relationship. Maybe it's a platonic relationship where it's just a friend where like maybe, maybe you've said things that you regret. Maybe you've pushed people away that they saw something in you and they tried to help and you were like, man, I don't, I don't want any part of that. But I kind of alluded to it, but it's tough. Like our words are such a big part of that. And maybe it's just me. I'm, I'm probably just speaking for myself tonight. But for some of us, our words can get in the way. For me, it gets in the way when I'm like trying to be funny. I want people to like me and I say something dumb and then I'm like, uh, I can't take that back. Or sometimes, more often than not, I haven't realized that I'm saying dumb things until it's like, oh, I said about nine dumb things. Okay, I'll backtrack that a little bit. But like maybe you just have a bad tone. Maybe when it comes to a certain person, you're like, I can't control myself. When that person's name gets brought up, I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna, I, I had a pass with them. Can I tell you what they did to me? Maybe it's sarcasm, that when you get around that certain group of friends, like that sarcasm just lays on thick and you just can't stop it and there's just no ending. Maybe it's a lie. Maybe it's just kind of building yourself up just a little bit so that you seem a little bit better. Maybe you put each other down just a little bit so that you feel a little bit better about yourself. Maybe it's, maybe there's somebody in here who's just like, man, I, I get around a certain group of people or, or I just do a certain thing and I just, I turn into this vulgar person that says things that I wish that I didn't. That the words that came out of my mouth, I would be embarrassed if my grandmother, if my mom, if someone from here came and heard me speak that way. Maybe for you, it's not words, it's not relationships, it's emotions. Maybe the things that get out of self-control is maybe one little thing kind of spun you off for the day and you're like, you're mad, you're ticked off, or you're just gonna, you're sad, and you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna live in that sadness. And I think it's kind of, we, we can kind of laugh about it and joke about it. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old that like, they do this all the time. My two-year-old, if he doesn't get his way, he does it when we leave church. I'm partially saying this so none of you uh, think I'm a bad dad. Uh, my two-year-old will, if he doesn't get his way, he'll lay down on the ground and go, my legs don't work, my legs don't work. And he just sits there and cries, and I end up being like, look, we're, we're leaving. I'm walking around the corner, you're gonna get left here. And it's funny when it's a two-year-old who's claiming his legs doesn't work, but when it's you, you're, you're like, man, I've been, I've been sad, or I've been upset, or I've been emotional, I've been angry about this certain thing for maybe not days, but weeks. Maybe not weeks, but months. And we start to let our emotions define us. Emotions aren't a bad thing. Jesus had emotion, Jesus cried, Jesus got angry, Jesus laughed. But he wasn't defined by his emotions. Maybe for you, the thing that spins out of control is a shopping trip. Maybe you hop on Amazon and you get a little fire inside of you that just gets going and you can't turn it off. Retail therapy. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your money. Maybe that's the thing that you just can't get under control because, I mean, it feels good to spend money. It feels good to have new things. See, but with self-control, there's almost two aspects to it. When you think about self-control, there's an indulgence in an area 
to jump in and do it as much as you possibly can. But there's also a, a laziness portion of it. Uh, throw up your hands and go, oh man, I could just sit on this couch for the next 15 hours and binge Netflix. I could sit on this couch for the next 15 hours and play video games. I could sit on this couch for the next three hours and scroll through my phone. If you never opened up the, the screen time app on your phone just to see how much time you're spending on things, for me, that's always a wake-up call. That we can lose self-control when it comes to, you know what, I deserve this lazy day. I deserve to not do anything. But what ends up happening is that we kind of push off our responsibilities and that sense of self-control, while that rest is not a bad thing. Don't hear me say that rest is something you shouldn't engage in. Jesus took a Sabbath and he encourages us to take a Sabbath. We're a seventh of our time or a day of the week. He says, I'm going to do things that push me closer to God and not work. And that's biblical. But there's a difference between doing that in a very intentional way and plopping down on the couch when you get home where maybe you need 15 minutes but you take closer to two hours. Maybe you could sit down and watch an entire season of your favorite show and before you know it you look up, oh my word, it's 2 a.m. and I've lost all self-control of that time. And loss of self-control comes at a price, right? Um, I've had it before. I normally don't uh, uh, eat before I speak on Tuesdays. So a lot of times I eat like a big lunch and then I come home and I eat something. Um, but I can remember, there have been several times, I've, uh, this, is, this is Jared's confession time. Uh, there have been several times that I come home and I'm like, there's cookie dough in the fridge. Okay, so I go to that cookie dough. I sit for a little bit, nice glass of whole milk. And if you're drinking anything, but if you're drinking skim milk, that's water that's lying about being milk. But um, you, you nice big glass of whole milk. And I sit there for a little bit, and then after a little bit, I'm like, man, Tyler, my stomach is just killing me. And she's like, well, what did you eat? And I have to backtrack and go, well, around noon I ate something, and then I ate this little bit of cookie dough. What time is it? Well, it's 10.30 at night. Have you eaten anything in 12 hours? No. Okay. There, there's, there's consequences to overindulgence. There's consequences to laziness. There's consequences to losing self-control. And I think we all know that like food is one thing, and that is an important thing, but there are other things in our lives that have big consequences. That in your purity, there are consequences to that. In your words, there are consequences to that. In your relationships with people, there are consequences. In your finances, there are consequences. In pushing off of responsibilities, there are consequences. In using substances, there are consequences. A lack of self-control comes at a price. Proverbs 28, 25, 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. It's saying that if we lack self-control, it's open season. Any number of sins can come in and take what's yours. And I don't think anybody in here, whether you're a Christ follower or not, wants to be defined by addiction. I don't think anybody in here wants to be defined by, yeah, I, I, I kind of blacked out for there for a minute. I lost control. I, don't really, I can't really explain why I did what I did. We want to be sound-minded people. We want to be people that can account for our actions, can account for the things that we do. But there's a bigger consequence even than that for 
the things that we do. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That all those things, that the walls are broken out, we're liable to any amount of danger from the outside or inside where our hearts are. And the wages of that, what we get, the payment that we get for that type of living is death. And it's not just talking about death at the end of life. While that does happen to every person at some point, what it's talking about here is an eternal separation from God. So you look at it and you go, okay, logically, if I just use rational thinking, self-control is the answer here. If sin is bad and separates from me from God, self-control is the answer. If I can just tip the scale in my life of good things to bad, if I can just make sure that I'm in control and I don't do the things that I don't want to do, then maybe everything will end up being okay. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It does not matter how disciplined, how self-controlled we end up being. Any amount of sin will send us to be separated from God forever. And what he's arguing here, what the author of Ephesians is arguing, is that If you're saved by faith, if you put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, which is the only way to have true life abundantly, the only way to do it is not of your own doing. So why is self-control so important? What is it about self-control that, how can we have it? What does it matter? If we're saved by something that's not our own doing, what does it matter what we do? How do you have long-lasting self-control? Well, in Galatians 5, Paul writes to this group of people, and I'm going to read a little bit more than than normal when we read this passage. In Galatians 5, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. But I'm going to read a little bit before that so you kind of see and get a picture for what's happening in that moment. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. This was Paul writing this. This is the guy who in Romans said, I I don't do the things I want to do, and I, I do the things that I don't want to do. He's saying that there is this inner battle going on in the heart of the Christian, of the person who follows Christ. What you have on one hand is the flesh, what's natural, what comes easy. And on the other hand, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And he's saying these are not friends. They are in, he uses the word opposed, they're in opposition to one another. So when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, we have to consider why are they important? What is it that God wants to do in your heart and in your life that the flesh has to kind of go down and the fruits of the Spirit kind of have to be moved up? He says, now the works, sorry, I'll back up just a little bit, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, and this is this list of things. We talked about a little bit of a list of things. This is Paul's list of things that the flesh brings up. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, 
strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me stop there. You might have seen that list and said, okay, there's one or two that I can say I have done in the past. Maybe I'm not doing that right now. Maybe there's something that you're caught in the middle of that you're like, okay, I I do that. What does that mean? And then what does it mean that I will not inherit the kingdom of God? If your life is defined by the pursuit of these things, if your life is defined by the desire for these things, This is a lifestyle. These are choices that we consciously make. I think we've all been there. We've seen it. The the pursuit of all those things, the desire to see all those things in our lives. Because we get convinced, right? Maybe it's sexual satisfaction that will make me ultimately happy. You pursue it. You try it. You realize how much pain is behind it. Outside of God's design. Okay, I'll I'll come back. Maybe it's the pursuit of money and you go after it and you strive after it and you're working hard and you get some. And what does that do? It fuels you for more. Maybe you think, okay, if I could just get rid of all of the the, the tension-filled relationships around me, then I would finally be happy. We end up with more. We've all been there. And what he's saying is, if this is you, if you find yourself on this list, you're not gonna walk with God in heaven. You're not gonna have life with him now. But maybe you're here and you're saying, okay, I'm a Christian and I've done some of these things. What does that mean? Is your life defined by that or is your life defined by Christ? Because our lives, whenever we choose to follow him, if this side of the stage is pursuing all of those things and this side of the stage is Jesus, we don't kind of live somewhere in the middle. We live our lives saying, I'm gonna turn my back on that list of things and I'm gonna do my best to walk towards Jesus. Am I gonna mess up? Yes, but I wanna take steps towards Jesus. I want to get rid of that. I wanna take steps towards Jesus. I wanna be more like Jesus tomorrow than I was today. And the good news is, is that's available for everyone. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. And he kind of moves forward a little bit and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and you may have heard this before. You may have heard some of these things. The fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And You've probably heard these before. These are all good things that I think everybody wants. And I remember talking about self-control, how that's such an important thing with Logan and Coke. And we're trying to talk through what the sermon should look like a little bit. And I remember like, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. All the other fruits of the Spirit are like these ethereal, like they sound good. Like your aunt might have them up in her kitchen and like put them on a a coffee mug and call it a day and it's going to be great. Joy, who doesn't want that? Peace, who doesn't want that? Kindness, I like that when people are that way to me. Goodness, it's awesome. It's it's goods in the name. I want it. And it's all these kind of ethereal things that you're like, okay, that's just kind of, it's just kind of in that person. It's just kind of there. And then he tacks in self-control. And it almost seems like it doesn't quite fit. And you go, okay, what, what does that mean? 
Here's the difference in what Paul is arguing here. And I think we can see it in the way that he talks about each of those things. In my version, it says, now the works of the flesh for that first list. Another one says the deeds of the flesh. What are works? What are deeds? Outward things. Now they may come from an inward place, but they're outward things. But what, is it, what do we know that's true about fruit? And what do we know that's true about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of all believers? It's inside. There's an analogy, a metaphor from a guy named Paul Tripp. That he says that there, there's two different ways of making a, a rose bush look really, really good. He said he, he had a rose bush at his house, and when he first moved in, it looked really good, and it was awesome, and, and he was like, man, I love that I have a rose bush. This is really nice. And then the next year, I guess some weeds got up into the middle of it, and it got a little, you know, choked out by the weeds, so maybe he had eight roses before, and now he only has maybe five. And year after year, he was losing a rose because roses are like, if the pH balance in the soil's off and they get an, a, a two minutes more sunlight than they need, they're not going to produce a rose, right? Like they're super ten- temperamental. So he was like, man, I want this to look good. So there's two ways of doing it. He can either fix all the problems. He can either come in and make sure the roots are healthy. He can come in and make sure the soil is what it needs to be, make sure the sunlight's what it should be. Or he said, or I could go to the store. I could buy 12 stems of roses, and I could go outside, and I could get my staple gun, and I could staple those roses to the rose bush. One's going to work really fast, and it's going to look good from far away, right? But what's going to happen? After a couple days, those roses don't have any support of life. They're going to die. Here's what that looks like for my life. I'll have a day where I get angry. I'll have a day that I get really frustrated really easily. And I go, okay, I know I'm not supposed to be that way. I know I need to be better. So I'm, I'm going to do everything I can tomorrow to be really, really kind, not get angry. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to be really nice. I'm going to do everything I can. And it might look good for a little bit, that first interaction that might have made me angry before, I might be able to go, not get angry today. It's not happening. But maybe that second one, oh man, that was a, bit, a little bit bigger of a speed bump. That might bother me a little bit more. That third one's with a person that, uh, he just gets under my nerves. That fourth one might be all it takes. And before you know it, that thing that I was doing really well at the beginning, it's, it's dead. It's not growing anything. It's pretty clear that the rose that I stapled to my life dies pretty quickly. And I think we've done that all in different areas. Man, I messed up with my purity. Man, I, I, I used words I shouldn't have. I said things I shouldn't have to the people around me. I'm, I'm, hey, tomorrow it's going to be different. New person. Tomorrow's different. Maybe it worked for a day. Maybe it worked for a week. But you end up going, I'm still the same. And from far away, it might look good. You might go, man, Jared's been keeping his anger under control. Jared's been doing a really good job not getting frustrated. But behind closed doors, 
It's a tension. It's an opposition. It's not what it should be. So when Paul here says this is the fruit of the Spirit, growing fruit takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. But what happens whenever we give our life to Christ is he gives us the Holy Spirit to walk with us, to be with us. The Bible calls him our helper. Jesus called him our helper. That he helps remind you of scripture. He helps you see people through the lens of God. And I think some of us, you don't, you don't need more or less of the Holy Spirit. You either have him or you don't. And I think for some of us, you've heard him so often that you've gone, uh, that doesn't sound like what I want to do, so I'm just going to say no. And we've grown really accustomed to, yes, you have the Holy Spirit in your life, but I'm not listening to it. That is not the way I want to live. I do not want to be selfless today. I do not want to hand over control today. I do not want to be self-controlled today. I do not want to have joy. I do not want to have peace. I do not want to have patience. And we end up quieting the Holy Spirit to a place where, yeah, we have him, but are we listening to him? Are we practically and effectively any different from the people around us that are looking for hope, are looking for meaning, are looking for a reason I have the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says it's the power that raised Christ from the dead is living in you. And I'm going, stop it. I don't want to hear that right now. When we put it that way, it sounds so stupid. So silly. Why would you ever do it that way? I think there are a couple small things that, I'm going to read the next verse. It says, but the And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That those that belong to Jesus, you know, if you're found in Christ, you belong to Jesus. That your creator, that the one who redeemed you, you belong to him. It says they've crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. How how do we start to just till the soil of our lives. I think we have to understand that the Holy Spirit was giving us everything that we need to do what God's asking us to do. But we have to look at that old way of living and say, I don't want it. I want Jesus. And it's not just uh, every Sunday I'm reminded, man, it's easy to sing songs and look back at Jesus and go, that's what I want. We have to day by day, moment by moment, commit to it's Jesus that I want. So how do we crucify the flesh? The first thing I think we have to do is to know what's going on. Know what it is that you struggle with. Know what those things are that you have trouble saying no to. Yours might be different than mine. But if we walk around and we don't know what it is, how can we crucify it in our flesh? You have to know what it is. The second thing is to know God's word. What does God say about you? How can we remember who it is that God says we are in a moment of I'm losing control, what do I do? What anchors us to our creator is his word that he wrote to us because he loves us. I'm gonna read you a couple of verses. 
2 Timothy 1, 7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. To know your shortcomings, but to know God's word. One of the most effective things I ever did, this is a Craig Rochelle thing, He said, when you have thoughts that dominate your mind, when you have something that you can't stop doing, that you can't say no to, write it down on a piece of paper. I'm indulgent. I'm weak-willed. I have a thought that comes in my mind. I'm a bad father. I'm not equipped to do what I'm asked to do. Man, I'm, I'm a phony. If people knew the thoughts that ran through my head, if people knew the attitude that I have, the tone that I can have with people. He said, I wrote those down on a piece of paper, which trying that's one of the most humbling, it's awful, I hate it. But then he said, as I read God's word and I read things that actively combated each of those things, I would write that verse down and I would memorize it because I want to actively combat when Satan comes in and says, man, you're such a bad dad. You'll never be a good friend. You'll never be a good husband. You'll never be, you'll never, you always to go, no, this is what God's word says about me. And to combat it with God's word that is alive and active. To know your shortcomings, to know God's word, and to be known by others. Man, if we're doing this in isolation, it becomes 10 times harder. To know that somebody else out there just knows that when you get into the spin cycle of, man, I can't get out of this sexual sin once I get to this place, but to just text someone and go, man, I just came home and nobody's home and this is a recipe for disaster for me and I need help. Just to have somebody else that knows and is praying for you, it's life-changing. Life-changing. To be known by others. That's why we do what we do, why we have groups, why we have, why we talk about spiritual disciplines. Not because we just want you to just do things, it's because we want you to be people that are self-controlled, that do what God wants you to do. I want to show you one other verse, one other section of scripture that talks about self-control pretty clearly. And it's a big section, so I'm just going to read the last part of it to you in just a minute. But it's Paul writing to Titus, who's kind of a son in the faith to him. And he's telling him how to help with his church, how to, how to help teach people, how to help grow the people around him. And when he does, he says, hey, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not slaves to much wine. Teach what's good to train the younger women to love their husbands and their children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. You see in the pattern here? God wants us to be self-controlled. Let me show you why. He says, show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech, 
that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. God wants you to be self-controlled, not just so that you can say, man, I, I did it. God changed, you know, a little bit of who I am. So that our lives reflect the creator that made us so that we aren't subject to the grounds that are shaking underneath us, so that we're rock solid knowing who we are in Christ. If we're not self-controlled, we're a city without walls open to anything, but to be self-controlled is to know who you are, know whose you are. When something comes in that might have been a vice for you in the past, you say, no, I know whose I am, I have people that are in this with me. I know what God's word says about me. I don't need that anymore. Maybe I did in my old life, but I'm taking steps towards Jesus today. And then in the next phrase, and it's gonna be on the screens, Titus 2.11, he just ends it with, hey, do all these things. Do this, do this, do this. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. You may have screwed up something as you walked in today. There might have been something that has been on your back as long as you can remember. And you go, we come in here, we talk about self-control. I can't even do that simple thing that I've been trying to stop for years. He says, hey, the grace of God has appeared to all and there's salvation for all people. There's forgiveness, there's redemption, there's hope for you in your situation. And that happens because of Jesus. We talked about earlier that the wages of sin is death. We all, because of the, the, the weight of the things that we bring in, the bad that we bring to the table, There's a debt to be paid for that, and that's separation from God forever. But the last part of that verse is what brings so much hope. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The beginning of self-control is coming to accept the free gift salvation from God and I'm going to be honest the word picture that came in my head was the beginning of self control is releasing control to God maybe there's stuff that you've been hanging on to so tight and I'm not ever going to let anybody know about this addiction I'm not ever going to let people know about this thing that happens in the dark I'm not ever going to let people know about this thing that happened to me hang on so tight because it's pain that happened to us. It's difficulty that we carry around with us. But the beginning of healing, the beginning of hope, the beginning of all those fruits of the Spirit are releasing control to God. You may not know the full extent of what that means in this moment. But I'm here to tell you that I was saved at a young age. I was, grew up in a Christian home. 
And I made that choice as a young kid. But my life was then defined by holding on to something and saying, okay, is this really worth giving it to God? And sometimes reluctantly and sometimes over the course of a couple years, but saying, God, this is yours. There's so much freedom in releasing that. It's better. It's just better. Because God cancels the record of sin that was held against you so that we could have freedom in Jesus Christ, that we could be reunited with our Creator, that we wouldn't be subject to the things that are around us, to our circumstances, to the way that we rock solid, knowing who we are because we've released control to our Savior. Will you bow your head? If you-